Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up this week on Truth and Movies, Christian Bale is the most powerful dick in history in Adam McKay's presidential satire Vice. I want you to be my VP. You solution to my problem. Nicole Kidman stars in Karen Kasama's noirish detective thriller Destroyer. Happy me. We were both at the bar trying to order a Dire Straits song came on the jukebox. You screamed and put that on. I turned and confessed. And in Film Club, Frank Sinatra starts spreading the news that his old war buddy might be a Soviet spy in The Manchurian Candidate. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Michael Leader here, sitting across from Little White Lies' own Hannah Woodhead. Hannah, welcome. Thank you. And returning guest, Sophie Monks-Kaufman. Hi, it's Published great to be author, back. Published author, Sophie Monks-Kaufman oh, now thanks. as well. Thanks. Welcome back, Sophie. Uh, before <laughs> we crack on with the new films, Hannah, you're going off abroad tomorrow, yeah. in fact. Yeah, I'm packing my bags. I'm leaving the country. I've had enough. No, I'm, I'm going to Sundance for uh, a week. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. My first time at the festival. Little White Lies' first time at the festival. Fantastic. None of us have been before. You're going to be wrapping up warm. I hear it's cold yeah, out there. Yeah, it's uh, minus six at the moment. Feels like minus twelve. I'm researching the wind chill. Apparently, the high altitude means you can't drink as much. So, or you don't need to drink as much. Well, is it more the, economical? Well, this is so boring. Now, I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. In Utah, the alcohol is like less in the oh. beer because they kind of. Yeah, that's they, not they, boring. That's a truly fascinating fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Everyone's learning something today. But, but let's get yeah. back onto the movies. You're seeing all sorts out there. I, I am. Believe. Yeah, my hit list is very long, but I'm uh, excited for Velvet Buzzsaw, which is the new Dan Gilroy film, mm. which is hitting Netflix like a few days after anyway. With your man Jake um, Gyllenhaal. My man, my man's Jake. Wait, Gyllenhaal. hold up. Since when did Jake Gyllenhaal become <laughs> Hannah's man? <laughs> The collective man yeah. of, of uh, Little Lies. Sorry, I couldn't keep silent. <laughs> I'm very excited about the new uh, Ted Bundy biopic starring Zac Efron. That is um, extremely wicked, shockingly vile and evil. Is that the film with James Hetfield from Metallica in? Yes, yes, yes. His, his acting debut. Fantastic. Playing a, a police officer called Bob, I think. Okay. A little more left field, I'm excited for uh, Babak Anvari's second feature. Mm. It's called Wounds. It's Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson and that, uh, yeah. But, I mean, I'll be reporting from the festival, so keep an eye on the Twitter and the website. And Fantastic. can find out what's going to be out in cinemas next year. <laughs> <laughs> that is exciting. We uh, look forward to reading that, Hannah. Thank you. But now let's get on with the new releases this week. It's time for some big dick energy. It's Vice. <laughs> Vice. 
Director Adam McKay follows the big short with another slice of American satire. Here, his subject is Dick Cheney, the quiet, bureaucratic politician whose 30-plus year culminated in his stint as George W. Bush's vice president. During this time in office from 2000 to 2009, Cheney reshaped the role of vice president as well as the political landscape of the nation itself. Here's a clip of Dick, Christian Bale, in conversation with George W., played by Sam Rockwell. I want you to be my VP. You the solution to my problem. Uh, I'm CEO of a large company. I have been uh, Secretary of Defense. I have been the Chief of Staff. Uh, the Vice Presidency is mostly a uh, symbolic job. Right, right. I can see how that wouldn't be... Uh, enticing to you. However, the vice presidency is also defined by the president. If we were to come to a uh, different understanding. Uh Uh-huh. Go on. I'm listening. I sense that uh, you're a kinetic leader. You make decisions based on instinct. I am. Mm. People always said that. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Very different from uh, from your father in that regard. Hannah, you reviewed Vice for Little White Lies. You called it The Big Short 2. What I do like you mean by that? <laughs> what do I mean by that? I think anyone that's seen The Big Short will recognise a lot of the kind of same tricks that are going on. It's very much like kind of, you think you know politics, here we go. Like yeah. it's, you know, a lot of like cut away from this situation to explain what's going on. The narrative framing device is like, it just all feels very similar. Mm-hmm. And I was I was really excited for this film because I'm a bit of a American history nerd. So I was kind of like, oh, this could be like, the source material is great. So let's, you know, let's... Mm. Uh, see how McKay manages to turn famously one of the most uncharismatic men Mm -hmm. in the history of the world into a sort of compelling subject. But yeah, it feels strange to me that he got kind of so much success and so much recognition for the big short and then he's just made the same film. Mm. It feels very safe and that was disappointing to me because I I really like the big short and uh, I just kind of expected more I think I expected some kind of evolution from McKay and I don't think this shows any anything new really one of the strengths of the big short was that it focused in on three very odd characters who aren't big players who happen to play a role in this huge financial collapse but in this one because all of the main characters are familiar faces it turns into that sort of pantomimic dress-up doesn't it yeah I think I think I said this in my review as well. It feels a bit like a Saturday Night Live sketch that's right. just got very out of hand. So out of hand. Two hours, 12 minutes worth of out of hand. <laughs> is that too much for you, Sophie? I don't know. Obviously, this is an audio format, so listeners can't see that I've been grimacing ever <laughs> since we've got onto Vice. How, how do I hate thee? Uh, okay, first of all, it's just so condescending, the tone of it. I think that, like, yuck, yuck, we're going to explain the subprime mortgage situation to you worked with that tone because truly a lot of people 
don't know those players, they don't know the book it's based upon. As a container for those meta devices, fourth wall breaking bits, that kind of worked. But it just doesn't work in this context remotely. The storytelling is so jumpy and an attempt to cover 30 years is just like a Wikipedia entry. And then this mm. happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. But like all in this very like tone of, hi, I'm Adam Mackay and God, I know so much that I can run rings around you. And here's a little bit where like they're in a restaurant and someone's getting served up unilateral presidential powers. Ha ha! <laughs> I don't know. The tone of it is all over the place. And yeah, it's... I've got a real issue with this mania for performance as impersonation. Mm -hmm. That's not acting, you know? Just because I'm worried that Christian Bale is going to have a heart attack, it doesn't mean that it's a good performance. (laughs) So it's just, it's long, it's unwieldy, the tone is condescending. You know, there's some interesting stuff in there. There can't help but be interesting stuff in there. But the way that the film is made is not good. Mm -hmm. It is such a fascinating position that McKay strikes where, yes, he does present himself as, I know more than this. I know this is the real truth. This isn't your dad's historical drama, documentary, yeah. the boring stuff you might have watched on a you know, lazy Sunday afternoon. But also he... St- does pres- he also undermines himself yeah. all the way through like oh but uh, but also I'm just a guy they, they present the narrative framework as Jesse Plemons as an ordinary Joe narrator who Which I'm the guy that's being messed up here by all of these changes in the Oval Office I, I yeah I mean that narrative framing device just didn't work for me in any way shape or form and I love Matt Damon I think he's a great actor and uh, I loved him in Game Night I loved him in Fargo <laughs> so you know I was kind of like oh yeah Jesse Perman's great and then he's totally kind of wasted in this very thankless role where he's kind of explaining what's going on and he's like you don't know me but later <laughs> I'll explain who I am and it's like oh god so I've got to like, keep track of that and I've got to keep track of all the scheming that's going on going back to the performances and there's a lot of talk about Christian Bell possibly getting his second Oscar for this mm-hmm. and I think probably will but and I think he's he's good whatever he he does a good job of Dick Cheney whatever but the rest of it like Sam he Rockwell, has an acceptable dick he's an acceptable dick yeah yeah and Amy Adams is kind of there I guess she turns up as she always does um, but Steve Carell well, Amy um, doesn't always turn up <laughs> I wish she did she'd be here now if that were the case <laughs> but Steve Carell and Sam Rockwell who I think Sam especially, I think, is a really good actor. They're just kind of doing these very, like, we've just turned up and we're getting a paycheck performances. And I I, 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 I repeat myself, but it does just feel like, you know, kind of Alec Baldwin on Saturday Night Live doing his, like, grimacing, like, Donald Trump impression. Mm -hmm. And talking about Madam McKay undermining himself, he kind of goes, these are the facts, man. These are the facts. This is what happened. And then he'll go, we don't know what happened here, so we're just going to make a bit up. And it feels like really lazy storytelling, you know, and... Oh, God, I just remember the end credit scene. There's like a mid credit scene, which is the most insufferable kind of Alex Jones info wars. Like, hey, don't blame the libtards. And it's like... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, not oh. a, it's not a spoiler, but it's one where it flashes back to a scene earlier in the film, but breaks the fourth wall and they're talking about 2018, 2019 political landscape. Yeah. And he just can't resist at the last moment to cack-handedly tie it all to Trump. Yeah. It, oh, it, he can't, no. It's like he's been like waiting, just going to explain the whole time. He's like, it's, it's what they are now. And in the same scene, now. he throws the Fast and Furious movies under the yeah, bus, which that really better films than me. this. Yeah, that really upset me. There's this woman who's kind of like, just sat there, she goes, I can't wait for the new Fast and Furious movie. It's going to be lit. And I was like, yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> why is McKay like, throwing shade on Fast and Furious? Like, There's no need for it. He clearly thinks that he's so much better than the rest of kind of 
pop culture, which is like stupid. This man directed Step Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't forgotten who Adam McKay is. Has <laughs> he also, forgotten who he is? That, that whole, like, if you're ripping up the rule book, doing things your way that whole thing is predicated on trust me and I'm sorry but I don't trust him (laughs) Mm. as an American history nerd Hannah do you think this is an effective historical drama I think the problem we have here and it's a big problem is that Dick Cheney isn't a very interesting person Mm -hmm. he did some interesting things very interesting things but framing a whole film around this man who was deeply uncharismatic, not as at all. If you ever watch him, like, go and look at footage of him giving speeches, it's no wonder he got away with what he got away with because everyone was just bored by him. It's like, oh, just, just you know, mm-hmm. let him do what he wants because, like, we don't care because it's dick. <laughs> you can't make good historical drama about someone who isn't really a character. I think that's why all the other performances feel so kind of ridiculous because there's just kind of nothing there and I say Christian Bell's good because yeah Dick Cheney isn't a charismatic person he just kind of sits there and like like that's he just wheezes gently in a corner and looks (laughs) sinister which is what Dick Cheney did Mm -hmm. but you know and also my other problem with this is that it's a film that's very it's always tied back to everything is Dick Cheney's fault and I don't think that's Possible. I don't think you can blame Dick Cheney for Donald Trump. Uh, you can't make these kind of giant leaps, which is what yeah. McKay does. And it it feels like it's giving Dick Cheney a lot of credit. And he'd probably love that. He would probably love to think that he is the reason for everything and anything that's happened since. But I don't think it's as simple as that. It's, you can't just say, oh, yeah, George W. Bush was an idiot. And that's, you know, dismisses him of any kind of like fault or malevolence that he might have been guilty of. McKay is so convinced of his own narrative. There's no kind of questions in this. There's no room for argument. Mm -hmm. There's no room for any single aspect of what he did to really have space to breathe because the story is so intent and covering absolutely anything. And David Jenkins, the esteemed editor of Look Away Lays, he once said, I can't believe I'm quoting David as if he's some sort of lauded historical figure, but I guess he is to us. <laughs> but he was like, by zooming in on a microcosm, you can often show more than by like trying to get everything in. Mm. And for me, this is the weakness of Vice. It's just exhausting to watch. You know, I had to take a breather halfway through and then sort of go back in because it's just, it has no art. It's not a pleasure to watch. You know, not all films have to be a pleasure to watch, but I think if you are a storyteller, you should at least try and respect the aspects of storytelling. And and this one, it's like he's saying, I'm above storytelling. And no, mm-hmm. no, you got you, you got to respect your audiences. And I just I'm not convinced that he does. It made me think of a film that, w- that was flawed and has been discussed a lot but from last year, but Black Landsman. Spike Lee is a, is a filmmaker with tremendous talent and control over his art. But he did make a specific story and in the final moments pull the rug to relate it to modern day political landscapes. And McKay just feels that he doesn't want to do that, but he does want to do that. He's doing everything at once. And it just doesn't really work. It's something of a, you know, structurally, stylistically, a bit of a dead end. It works with the big short. It doesn't work as well here. Is it an entertaining movie? I think you, you say in your review, Hannah, that Bale is a riot. Yeah. Is that a good riot or a bad riot? I think he is an incredible actor. And I think it's kind of fun to see him do what he does very well. I think he commits so fully with every film he does and he was kind of the shining light of this for me. And I I, I threw a bit of light shade on Amy Adams earlier, Mm -hmm. but I feel sorry for her because Lynn Cheney, again, is like 
there's not really anything there. It's like, mm. I love my husband. And, uh, you know, she just kind of goes on these speaking tours. And she has a little bit at the beginning where she's like, if you don't shape up, I'm going to leave you. And But, yeah, I mean, I was entertained. I can't say I wasn't entertained by it. But I think it feels like an irresponsible movie. You know, it feels... He's raining against, like, this, this fake news and all these kind of, like elements of like the the right wing you know narrative in the states but he's kind of doing exactly the same thing you know he's he's taking these giant leaps and like filling in the gaps with his own kind of like agenda and i don't understand the purpose of this movie who's this for everyone with kind of any knowledge of what's going on in america what went on in america kind of knows that dick cheney's not a very nice person and it's not going to convince anyone that likes Dick Cheney that he was a bad person, you know? It's, it feels like it's just kind of nothing. And in the way that the big short kind of, I think, is quite educational and it, and it tells me something I didn't know in, in a very, like, engaging way, I think this tells me kind of what I already knew in a very, like, like Sophie said, it, it's condescending. Mm-hmm. And I just... Yeah, I would I would expect more from someone who has kind of had his opportunity to make his first serious film. Mm-hmm. I'd expect some form of kind of growth from McKay, and this feels like regression. Interesting. So let's put some scores on this, Hannah. Do you want to lead us off mm. in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect? It was definitely a four in anticipation. I think the clip we just heard as well was like the first teaser that they released for the film, and I was still like pretty on board with it when that came out. But then a three and a three. I, I actually quite want to revisit it because I saw it before Christmas and I feel like I saw so many films over Christmas. It would be good for me to go back and take another look. But yeah. So who did he make it for? He made it for you, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in, in the great pantheon of historical biopics, it's not going to be looked upon favourably, I don't think. Sophie? Two's across the board for me. I was quite sad when I realised we were going to be covering this on Film Club because I'm doing my level best not to watch it. I mean, not Film Club, uh, the main dish. So yeah, two in anticipation. I'm sorry, but when I look at a poster and it's all my favourite actors, like, bald, deep and prosthetics, I'm not going to be rushing out to see that. And I am a fan of Christian Bale, but I think his performance is that of a sentient potato. It- <laughs> oh. oh, that's so harsh. And I think he needs to have it written into his contract that he's actually not allowed to lose or gain weight because I need to see what Christian Bale does just, you know, without radically and dangerously transforming his he body. He said he's going to stop now. Okay, well, that's oh, good news. Good. I'm happy. I'm happy for him. Very happy for him. Um, yeah, enjoyment, a two. And I want to shout out to Stephanie Zacharat's Time Review, which is a beautifully written takedown. And one of her many brilliant usages of the English language involves her calling it a creaky romp. (laughs) And then, yeah, in retrospect, a two. Yeah, I'd say probably three, two, two for me. I'm not sure. It might even go lower than that in retrospect. might just drag down. (laughs) It made me want to go and rewatch the documentary The Unknown Known, the Donald Rumsfeld film, which is just this face-to-face chat with him where they try to present him with everything he was involved in and he just wiggles away. Yeah, Rumsfeld in this kind of... Is just like a, a nothing in the background. They dismiss a lot of those side characters yeah. that are the, on the political sphere. Anyway, Sophie, you mentioned balls deep in prosthetics. We've got some of those coming up <laughs> oh, sure we as we go from dick to detective for Destroyer.
Nicole Kidman is Erin Bell, a bruised middle-aged detective whose past comes back to haunt her when a cold case heats up. A John Doe body suggests a killer Bell tracked years before is back on the scene, leading her to reconnect with a crew she infiltrated for an undercover assignment with her partner, played by Sebastian Stan. As her investigation continues, the action flits from sun-soaked past to the moody present, revealing twists and turns along the way. Here's a clip of Kidman and Stan getting their story straight before taking on that fateful undercover op. Where did we meet? Bar, Hammond, 2002. Where'd you grow up? All over. Most of the Las Cruces. What bar? Taffy's. Why Las Cruces? Dad got transferred to White Sands. He left. We stayed. Why were you always at Taffy's? Bartender gave me a break on drinks. Where'd you go to school? Centennial High. Expelled. Got my GED. Did half a year at Doniana Community. Toss for dealing. What was across the street from the bar? Car dealership. Their son was a huge neon bear. What was the mascot at Centennial? Hawks. What was the name of the bouncer? The one with the hair? Martin. How'd we meet? Marlon. Marlon. We can check that. Yeah. Marlon. Marlon. Okay. How'd we meet? We were both at the bar trying to order a Dire Straits song came on the jukebox. You screamed and put it on. I turned and confessed. We said it was a Pink Floyd song, Chris. Yeah, well, I like Dire Straits. Sophie, in your... Little White Lies review for Destroyer, you called it truly baffling. <laughs> Let's untangle this. Where do we start with oh, Destroyer? where do we start? <laughs> um, I suddenly feel very weary and very old. Um, I mean, Nicole Kidman it looks weary and old in this, in this film, it. doesn't she? I am delivering this review in the style of Nicole Kidman in, De- in Destroyer. Uh, can we start with how she's styled in this? Exactly, probably the best way. That's the first thing you see on the poster, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so she's wearing this long blade style leather jacket that <clears> kind <throat> of flaps in the wind. The same pair of black jeans throughout the whole thing. She's all in black. She's been given fascinating prosthetic <laughs> treatment because it's it's not like adding jowls or anything like this. It's kind of adding liver spots yeah. to her face and bags and such like her usually pristine movie star hair is this bedraggled mop anyway she, without speaking a word you can tell that her character has fallen upon hard times <laughs> yes. and then she opens her mouth and it's this fascinating chewy raspy thing again you can tell you know this is hard bitten nicole and then she's gonna go solve this case of who this mystery body is So she's got some ideas of who might be responsible and so she starts doing the rounds and then this dual narrative kicks in so we're back in time and she's going on this undercover sting and then watching the film is just basically the process of those two timelines joining up and without spoiling it it's not reinventing the rule book in terms Mm -hmm. of how these two stories add up so the more beguiling mystery becomes one about the tone of the film. On one hand it's incredibly by numbers the story but on the other hand the tone is is really wild <laughs> very eccentrically toned film because i was thinking like what can i compare destroyer to and i was thinking of kiss kiss bang bang by shane black oh, okay. but th- the crucial difference is kiss kiss bang bang is in on the joke whereas destroyer <laughs> seems to think it's a very serious film this take on a grizzled old detective going through what the sort of tropey murder mystery plot or how do you mean what, what's it doing what's it doing i mean <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified enough to say what it's doing. What is it doing, Michael? It's doing so what is it much. Doing, Hannah? It's doing so much. <laughs> when did I see this? Oh, because uh, I, I saw this after 
Toronto where it premiered. And I was quite intrigued because, you know, you, you hear Nicole Kidman playing a grizzled detective and you go, all right, I'm interested. And then you get into it and it's, oh, God, it's... It, I really would quite like to talk to Karen Kusama about this because I'm so confused by mm-hmm. it. And there are so many things that happen in the film where you just kind of think, this isn't police work. Like, what's mm-hmm. going on? There's one scene where she has to go to the home of a suspect and get some information out of him. And the way that she figures is best to do this is by giving him a hand job. And I was like, what is going on? This- okay, okay. He just requests the hand yeah. job. Yeah, but like, I, what, what? I mean, the thing is, and this is what, what's baffling, is that the film at no point concedes that anything is unusual. Yeah. So when she does give the hand job, watched by lots of ceramic owls, I might add. On the mantelpiece yeah. of, the, of the house, yeah. The scene is played completely straight. Like, this is just a regular interrogation down the police station. Yeah. So that's one of the many confusing things about the film is that we'll have these flourishes that you might expect if it was populated by characters with everyday psychology, they might raise an eyebrow about the direction things are taken. <laughs> but none of the characters ever raise an eyebrow. Not even the ones who are ostensibly normal. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the other police officers don't seem to think anything is strange about what's going on in the film. And one of the highlights of this film is when Nicole Kidman goes to a bank where a robbery is taking place. You can't spoil the line. And I won't spoil the line because <laughs> she has a fantastic line, but she goes there with these two other police officers and they're like, oh, I think we should wait for backup. And then she has this amazing line that I'm not going to ruin. She, um, she just turns up to that bank job the, and pro- happens to have a machine gun in her boots. <laughs> yes, this is Just thing. handily. That's not... I, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, but that's not police procedure. You can't just carry a machine gun around in the boot of your car. I think that gets to the heart of something about this film that I could almost see what they're trying to do. They're trying yes, to, do, to yeah. do the um, the Taken or the equivalents for all those older male actors, the equaliser, but for a middle-aged female actor where yeah. she's going through this noirish, dark, stylized drama thriller, but then she is a detestable human being. There is nothing to latch <laughs> onto to make her human to us. Even the flashbacks don't really help no but then no. she has her moments where she pistol whips people in the face or she you know beats up her daughter's boyfriend <laughs> exactly i mean that's taken right but then there's something that's just a little askew with yeah. all this i think one of the greatest like elements that illustrates how baffling this film is is um the wig work and yes. another character in the film i mean it's not a spoiler to say which character but so silas who's this crime lord wears this long flowing jesus wig mm-hmm. and <laughs> is this a spoiler? I don't think it's a spoiler. He takes the wig off at one point. I'm like, but why is he wearing the wig? It's never explained. It's, it's yeah. never really a, a, a so plot many... point that he would be a wig, yeah. This is the thing. There are so many things that I think could have made a good movie about, like, within this. I think even the other undercover operation, like, would be a fine, you know, an interesting story if it was told straight. But everything is kind of so... It's like a snake eating its own tail. It's just like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's going on? And there, there is a twist at the end that uh, is quite baffling and requires yeah. some chat. I don't know if but, I, we can't get into it here, of course. Twist, that twist, though, and I mean, it's not a good movie, but I've thought about this movie a lot. And I 
keep going back and forth on it because I'm sure that it doesn't add up. Well, well, that's that's like, for... like, no, no, it most certainly does not add up. <laughs> it does not add up. And thank you. In discussing the wig scene, I think you've identified one of the big problems with the film. And I think we all are all now collectively playing detective, like figuring out <laughs> what is so wrong with this film. But it's that it has these payoff moments that just haven't been earned. It'd be <laughs> like if I suddenly stood up and yelled, and that's why I killed him and ran out of the room. And you two would be like, who did you kill, Sophie? I don't know. You've not mentioned killing anyone. It's just got all these grand moments that seem to erupt out of nowhere, but are played in a very stern way <laughs> by one and all. It would be very odd for you to make your confession on a podcast, Sophie. I mean, that's never been done before. We could get all sorts. We get featured on <laughs> iTunes for that. Um, but this made me think of Glass last week. There's a lot of chat oh, yeah. around Glass where Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, his mother is played by an actress who's five years, six years younger than him. Um, but this gets into this, this chat about wigs and makeup. And this has got a fascinating cast where everybody's being aged almost in the opposite direction to the way they probably should be. Nicole Kidman is being aged up and then looks like Nicole Kidman in the past when she's supposed yeah. to be 20, 30. Yeah. Um, then you have some incredible Tatiana Maslany ageing up for the couple of scenes I that she is in I didn't even realise that she was in this. She's, she's so good in Orphan Black, yeah. um, but in this she's barely in it. The only one who gets away scot-free is Sebastian Stan, <laughs> who looks great. <laughs> Bradley Whitford gets away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bra- yeah. When doesn't Bradley Whitford get away? With, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's a nice but, one scene I mean, for him. <laughs> Nicole Kidman is just so great and this film just I will say like I think it's worth seeing it just to kind of see her like really go for it I think Mm. she's clearly having a great time and I can't dislike it because she's so clearly like loving life and living her best life Nicole you know yeah but in terms of you know those autumn festivals Telluride Toronto you look Mm. at these films you think Oscar Nicole Kidman with some sort of prosthetics on that worked for for the hours Uh, this is not an awards movie, is it? I think they've been pushing it very hard, but Mm. no. But this is something to maybe, it's a pulpy film to watch and maybe Mm. chat about afterwards with some Yeah, it kind of reminds me a bit of Sicario as well. Mm -hmm. You take that back. (laughs) In terms of what's this endlessly grim... Yeah, uh, just kind of this exists in a world that is not ours. Right. (laughs) This alternate dimension where everything is sad and depressing and there is absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel and this relentless onslaught of... Agony. And Craig S. Sala vibes as well. Reminded me a bit of um, Brawl in Sailbuck 99. Interesting, yes. Um, it's quite violent, this film as well. There's some very, like, bits where you're like, oof. Some shocking moments. Oof, wasn't expecting that. But you're comparing it to all these films that have coherence. I <laughs> yes, would say yeah. the principal quality of Destroyer <laughs> is that it's incoherent. And in that respect, it is something that's quite fun to watch just because... I mean, what are films for on one level to take you out of your life? This does take you out of your mm. life because... You're so confused. There's no space really to stress about whatever you would normally stress about. You're just stressed about Destroyer. <laughs> well, uh, yes. Let's bring this one home. Uh, Sophie, what are your scores for Destroyer? Anticipation four. Like mm-hmm. Hannah said, I'm here for a grizzled detective played by Nicole Kidman. Enjoyment? No. <laughs> Two. In retrospect, it's been fun to talk about. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah? Probably the same as Sophie's. Uh, four in anticipation are two for just kind of how 
baffled I was. And I watched it on my own as well. I feel like if you watch this kind of in a cinema with your friends, the film Hotel Artemis, which I saw last year, and like Glass, which I mm. saw with friends, it would be quite fun because you'd all just be looking at each other like, what on earth is That's going on? That's what happened. I watched it in Toronto with our mutual friends. And afterwards, we all just looked at each other like with the same expression of total bafflement on our faces. And sometimes I think we talk a lot on the podcast and in Little White Lies about kind of the meaning of film and, you know, the worth of film. But sometimes you just kind of want to be entertained. This mm-hmm. is like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Like, are you not entertained? The whole film. And I was entertained. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I very much enjoyed talking about it and kind of like a support group for yeah. survivors of Destroyer. And sometimes that entertainment doesn't have to be in the film itself. No, it can, it exist can be outside the, of the what film. we take away from the film. The real cinema is the friends we make along the yeah. way. <laughs> so I'd say, yeah, three, two, three for me, similar to you. I think in retrospect, this film is growing just only because I love talking about it with people. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was Nicole Kidman and Destroyer. See that with friends if, if you are seeing it at all. But next, we're going back to the political thriller genre for The Manchurian Candidate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So Lawrence Harvey is an American soldier captured and brainwashed by the Soviets in the Korean War and turned into an assassin for the global communist cause. Directed by one of the greatest purveyors of the political thriller, John Frankenheimer, the Manchurian candidate played on Cold War paranoia and would seem all too real just a year later with the assassination of JFK. We'll see how it stands up in a minute, but first, here's a chilling clip. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head and Johnny will rise gallantly to his feet and lift Ben Arthur's body in his arms, stand in front of the microphones and begin to speak. The speech is short, but it's the most rousing speech I've ever read. It's been worked on here and in Russia on and off for over eight years. I shall force someone to take the body away from him. Then Johnny will really hit those microphones and those cameras with blood all over him fighting off anyone who tries to help him, defending America even if it means his own death. 
rallying a nation of television viewers into hysteria to sweep us up into the White House with powers that will make martial law seem like anarchy. Angela Lansbury there in The Manchurian Candidate, a.k.a. Assassination, she wrote. (laughs) Spoilers, apologies if you haven't yet seen it, but really by now you should have. She was only 36 when that film came out. Yeah, yeah. I think it, isn't it only three years older than Lawrence Harvey yeah. who plays her son? <laughs> There's a theme emerging. Um, yeah. Also, regarding spoilers, I think the film is so twisty turny that you would actually forget what's yeah. happening as you're trying to follow it. So I did. If you if you haven't seen it yet, just watch it. Please. The tagline of this film, which is one of my favourite taglines of all time, is like, "If you walk in five minutes after the start, you won't know what's happening." And I was like. <laughs> Excuse me, yeah, but that, it's a completely accurate storyline. You have to kind of—you can't really be on your phone or like looking no. away. You have to kind don't of think they were on phones engaged. in 1962. Well, I'm on my phone now, watching it on my laptop, Michael, They're and on I was struggling. Yeah. <laughs> well, Roger Ebert—he used this lovely turn of phrase. He was like, "Another turn of the corkscrew plot." Ooh, that's nice. That's nice. What did our listeners think, Sophie? Okay, so Rick Buren has written in to say, "Cracking film." One of the most directed but strikingly directed films I've seen. And as has been observed elsewhere, they finally got a fitting performance out of Harvey by casting him as a zombie. (laughs) Sinatra said it took Cliff to teach him how to really act, and you see it here. That's such a good comment, Rick. Lawrence Harvey is an acquired taste in this film, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Oh, he's a brilliant, tragic character. (laughs) But is that the performance or the character? Or a marriage of... Actor and character. Exactly, a perfect confluence mm-hmm. of both, I would say. It's one of those performances where I'm not sure if it's just stunt casting or <laughs> is there actually a great actor there. I've not seen Lawrence Harvey in anything else. I'm, Me I neither. should go and go watch. I think we've got our homework set out for us. We have, yeah. Hannah, have we got another comment there? Yeah, from uh, Lenny Berger on Twitter. I recall Frank Sinatra being totally clueless and also very sweaty. Yeah. yeah. What do we think of Sinatra in this? This is coming almost at the end of his career as, yeah. a, as one of Hollywood's golden boys. This is after Ocean's Eleven, after From Here to Eternity, The Man with the Golden Arm, and then all of those musicals in the 40s and 50s. So what is he like here? He produced this film or his production company made it. I think he's pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't have a lot to do, I don't think, apart from be like, oh, I think that guy's up to something, see? That's <laughs> <laughs> not how he sounds. It's no, how he, in fact, it's how quite, sounds a, in my quite head. an unshowy performance by yeah. him. He gets out of his own way. None of that old, old blue eyes like, kind of charisma. He's, mm. I think he's very much like... Playing it straight as you as as one has to with this film, it's it's very um, very serious and very like full of intrigue. And when when we were first talking about what film to do for film club this week, I will admit my ignorance. I was only really familiar with the Jonathan Demme remake of The Manchurian Candidate. How does that stand up? I've not seen that. It's with Denzel. Yeah, I mean, it's like a movie, yeah, whereas right. this is like movies this is such an art film really yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah. especially the the editing and and the shot composition and so incredibly sad as Mm -hmm. well you know like Lawrence Harvey I think does that very well there's this kind of like reveal later on where he kind of realizes what's been going on and he's just like heartbroken you know like but in that kind of very restrained old Hollywood kind of way not in like now where it's like no he's very much like oh my god I can't believe what I've done you know mm-hmm. well as I was watching this and I, this was my first watch for today I was thinking what has happened to the genre the political mm. noir mm. because yeah. that's actually a great way to treat politics unlike the film we mentioned <laughs> earlier you know it really imbues it with the human aspect the sadness of, of politics like I mean what arena are there 
worst, most consequential machinations of power than in the political arena. And this film manages to get to that without a million characters rolled in and out. And it also manages to, via all its its twists and turns, and, it, you know, it, you really do have to pay attention, it manages to show that the stakes in this film, once they finally emerge, are not even particularly ideological. Mm. It's really all to do with control. Certain people wanting control and certain people being controlled. And it's not even about getting what you want in the end because nobody really gets what they want in the end. It's just this, like, yeah, the machinations of power. And we haven't said much about setup, I guess, presuming that people are aware of it. But should we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we have a little bit of time. Yeah. It's got this really famous clip that I'd seen and I hadn't even seen the film, which is when they were serving in Korea and Lawrence Harvey's character was in Korea and Frank Sinatra's character was in Korea. They were all held prisoner of war and brainwashed. And this scene was filmed from three different perspectives and intercut together. And so the soldiers think that they are being addressed by a women's flower club, (laughs) (laughs) but they are in fact being brainwashed by Korean agents. And these memories kind of splinter throughout the rest of the film and it it really plays with reality in in a way that is quite actually impressionistic and assists not just the plot but the sort of psychological stakes and the confusion of everyone involved because at the same time as you, the viewer, are trying to figure out what's happening, so too Frank Sinatra is trying to figure out what's happening. Lawrence Harvey is a tragic character because he kind of seems beyond figuring out what's happening you know he's the full guy he is the dupe but even he still has his own stakes like what would make him happy you know his mother played by Angela Lansbury is the most Machiavellian character she makes Lady Macbeth look like a little poodle she is the one who wants power and control and her stooge in this operation is this airheaded senator and there's this great line in it when uh, she's like you have many many strengths but one of them isn't thinking (laughs) so she's controlling him she's controlling her son and no one in this is really uh, happy at all and it, it's black and white and it's shadows and it's dutch tilts and it's re- yeah it's really noir-esque in the way that it's shot and you just feel that along with the literal shadows that you know the shadows of melancholy of, of mm. all of these characters it's really it's a real tonic to watch a film like this when we're in the middle of awards season where themes or settings like this one are pumped up into prestige movies. This is back mm. in the day where there was still a landscape of storytelling where this could just be a little, almost like a little genre movie, a political thriller, which is, you can see how nudged in one direction Frankenheimer a couple of years later would make a sci-fi movie called Seconds that plays on the similar sense of paranoia and the machinations of, of power, but... In a, in a purely sci-fi setting, and that can speak to greater, you know, political or you know, existential themes without being a statement or a comment on the actual political landscape. It's amazing to think that you know this is a film about an assassination that came out of the year project JFK. We'll think now, oh god, that must have been so controversial at the time. But actually, <laughs> it wasn't really. That there are rumours that this was taken out of circulation the year after after JFK was assassinated. But I think that's just myth. Yeah, it's a myth. It was it yeah. was with, withdrawn many years later by Frank Sinatra. But then some people think that that's just because Frank Sinatra didn't know how to keep his films in yeah. you know, in the language. And then in 1988, it was restored and re-released. A really fascinating movie. I think we'd all recommend it, wouldn't we? Yeah, and it's very iconic. Like use of the Queen of Diamonds. If you yeah. ever have been thinking, I really want to watch a film that knows how to deploy the Queen of Diamonds. <laughs> 
look no further. <laughs> exactly. And Janet Lee is marvellous in it as well. I mean, she always is. Well, she's yeah. a connection with Hitchcock. This is it was really scratching my Hitchcock itch. Here. Oh yeah, yeah. Your Hitchcock Big time. Hitchcock. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. That's that's why we have you on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, that was uh, the Manchurian Candidate. Go and watch that. Let us know what you think at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter at the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcast or at Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com. What's happening next week? Ah, yes. Well, you're going to be in Sundance, Hannah, so we'll we'll have to read what you're up to over there. But in terms of new releases, we have Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's Marielle Heller's film with Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant, another Oscar hopeful there. We have Burning, Lee Chang-dong's Korean drama, which was a hotly tipped can title last year. And for Film Club, because of, I guess, the Melissa McCarthy connection, but then also because of what's in the news, we are going to revisit Paul Feig's 2016 Ghostbusters. So quite an exciting lineup there. Uh, let us know what you think at the usual channels if you've seen any of those. It just leaves me time to say thank you, Hannah and Sophie, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. I have been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.